Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. We're joined by Kostaki Economopoulos, the biggest name in comedy. Kostaki is a renowned stand-up comedian. He's also written jokes for everyone from Bette Midler, Jay Leno, the networks MTV and BET. And Kostaki Economopoulos is also known for his many TV and radio appearances. He's released a CD, Come On, It's Jokes. Thank you very much for making the time to talk to us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's our pleasure. I suppose having a name like that has its advantages. Yeah. I, you know, I've been told for many years to change it for show business because it's too complicated and nobody can remember it. But on the other hand, people remembered enough. They go, that Papadopoulos guy, I want to go see him. That's all you really need in show business. And so it works for that. And it's, it helps me stand out from the pile in terms of, you know, I've got a very funny uh, friend named Tom Simmons, and he has the opposite problem. You know, no one rem- remembers his name either for the opposite reason. So <laughs> yeah. it's, prob- it's probably a wash. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your parents. Uh, my parents, my, my both my parents had, have PhDs. My dad was a sociology professor for 30-something years in the University of Georgia system, and my mom's a uh, math educator at different levels. She taught uh, middle school math for many years and eventually taught math teachers how to teach math when she worked at Kennesaw State. And then she was an administrator there as well. So they're both educators. And uh, for a long time, my dad would give me a hard time. Like, uh, it's not too late to go back to school, boy. You know, he, he liked the idea of me teaching as well someday. And uh, I'd been a comic for many years. And I was like, do you know, Dad, it's not too late to get into show business. I was- <laughs> I I worked uh, 40 minutes last night. I got free drinks. It's pretty good. Pretty good life. <laughs> now, you just mentioned Kennesaw, Georgia, which is just a just a short while from the studio that we're at. Tell us a little bit about Kennesaw. It's an interesting place. It is. When I was a kid, I remember thinking we were famous because we were in Mad Magazine for the uh, recent rule that you had to own a gun if you lived in the city limits. It was like a national joke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, you know, it's funny to me. I think Kennesaw is a little bit of a, the name to me evokes a little bit of like the country part of Georgia. And Marietta to me is a little more of like, the suburban Atlanta oriented part of Georgia. And I've always kind of lived on the cusp there. I mean, I I grew up with a Kennesaw dress, but uh, my high school was in Marietta. All my buddies were in Marietta. Marietta was sort of the center of my regular day-to-day home growing up. So, uh, you know, Georgia has it all. Georgia has CNN and it's getting the Super Bowl this year and had the Olympics and is very much a center of the world in some ways. And it also has a little bit of, uh, you know, old school South about it. So uh, every state has that, actually. And that's something that surprised me when I started going around the road. You know, you go to upstate New York and uh, it's the same kind of vibe. There's there's big markets and then there's a lot of rural sort of uh, small town life in, in every direction outside of those. So. All of America has some version of that. You went to the University of Georgia? I did. 
and I even stayed. I got my master's there. I'd studied uh, political science and uh, uh, election politics, and you know, I, I was fascinated with that. That's what I thought I was going to teach. I was going to be an American government teacher. I was I was fascinated at the time by by the two two big subjects: what made people laugh and what made people vote. You know, I actually studied. Uh, I studied both. I did my master's thesis on the influence of political satire on our feelings about government. So I was fascinated by, you know, you, you tell a joke to one group of friends and it gets an eight level laugh. And a half an hour later, you tell it to a different group of friends and it gets a four. And I was always fascinated by how delicate comedy is. You know, it's all about context and timing and social situation and references and the moment and how well it's told. And, you know, and the same thing is true for, politics and voting like what at the time you know if you're a single issue voter i get it but if you're not how do you pick between george bush and michael dukakis i mean why why are you voting for this guy and not that guy what what is it is it is it one moment in a debate is it that you feel like you can have a beer with them they feel like a good leader they're well spoken what what are the factors that go into it so i've always been fascinated by those kinds of things and and especially by the comedy, the comedy stuff. So that's what I that's what I wound up doing. So you spent a good bit of time in Athens. I did. I spent uh, yeah six six years minus one. I went away one year to the University of South Florida on exchange program, which is kind of weird to go to an exchange program that's a seven hour drive away <laughs> in Tampa. <laughs> but uh, so I spent three undergrad years and two grad school years, and then you know. Lots of time visiting after that to come back and see friends who are still there and go to Bulldogs games and whatever. I, I love Athens. I wish, uh, I wish I could live in an Athens type of city somewhere. If it's not Athens, you know, it's a nice mix of college and small town and thoughtful and you know support the arts and you know it's relatively inexpensive and people are friendly. It's just got a, such a great mix of things. Yeah, and it's interesting. Athens is a place, there's nothing else like it, really, around it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just in the middle true. in the middle of nowhere. No offense. <laughs> uh, lot, yeah, right. Uh, lots. Uh, that's another thing that I was surprised to find exists in other places. It's, you know, it's a little island of college-ness, uh, uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? And that... That actually exists in quite a few places around America. It's, it's interesting. I, did, I didn't know that until I got out there and started telling jokes all over the place. What misconceptions do you think people have about comedians? <laughs> wow, I don't. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think probably the biggest one is that it looks easy. If you're good at it, it looks so simple. You just stand there and talk, and people are laughing. When you play guitar, people kind of know instinctively they can't play guitar, and so they have a little extra respect for the process because they know it's hard to play guitar. <laughs> but if you just stand there and talk, it doesn't look like it's something that's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think probably, and even me, when I first became a fan of comedy, I remember watching it on the, you know, like the late '80s, early '90s, sort of. Everywhere you flipped on the TV, there was a there was a guy standing in front of a brick wall telling five minutes of jokes. I was I was always puzzled, like why are these people traveling around? It's just uh, you know, it didn't it didn't look hard to me. But yeah, there's a there's a very high expectation in in live American stand up comedy. You have to be funny like every several seconds. 
and not just a little humorous. You have to be, you have to make a room full of strangers laugh out loud consistently for the whole time you're standing there. That's a really high bar in comedy. If you watch a stand-up, if you watch a sitcom, you laugh a handful of times in a half an hour. But if you watch a good comic for a half an hour, you're laughing hundreds of times. It's a very distilled, pure form of, of comedy. And that's part of the reason I was drawn to it. It's there's no actors, there's no directing, there's no people arguing about the writing and the demographics, and you know, it's just a it's just a guy with some ideas. Or a woman. I mean, it's just a person standing there. I, I always love the simplicity of it. What are your memories of your first time on stage doing stand-up? Yeah, uh, I was terrified. I was. I always loved stand-up, but I didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm not a naturally. You know, some some comics are naturally gifted, uh, sort of outgoing, funny people who wander through life being funny all the time. And I'm not that at all. I am uh, more the guy who likes the process and tinkers with the jokes and enjoys the writing and, the you know, taking an idea from an idea you have a, in a car to eventually being an 11-minute piece that you're doing on stage in front of people, you know, for money. It's an amazing process, and I've always been fascinated by that. So for me, it wasn't natural at all to be on stage. I hated the idea of talking in front of people, but I couldn't not do it. I was just compelled to give it a shot. So for me, the early, all my early memories were just being terrified of being up there. I didn't want to do it, but I just didn't want to not do it. You know, I was just so intrigued by the process. My first piece I ever did was... uh, (laughs) so weird in retrospect i wrote this elaborate story that involved serial names <laughs> you know and i was like uh nothing honey and i went and i went to the store and i bought like 25 boxes of cereal and i wrote a story that involved all the serial names and i would hold them up as i did the jokes it was like this crazy prop bit and i liked it because it was first of all it was all about the writing and then I had something to do with my hands, <laughs> something else going on that was not me just saying words. So it felt easier for me to do. So it was a good, it was a good way station to getting to uh, more traditional jokes for me. <laughs> now, what about now? Do you read reviews that come out like after you do a show? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I don't I don't get a lot of reviews because of the nature of what I do. I'm I'm mostly known from the radio and being a bar comic. I'm not sort of a celebrity comic in the way some people are. But yeah, I you know, it's important to get some feedback and that's one of the hard things about being a comic. Nobody tells you the truth. You know, people just say good set or they look away and don't <laughs> they avert your gaze. That's after a show. That's usually a sign you didn't nail it. <laughs> So it's hard to get the truth. So actually, if you if you can get your hands on some somebody writing something about you, if you can get your uh, ego out of the way, it's usually pretty useful to see see you through someone else's eyes. Well, speaking of seeing you, I was looking on your website, which everyone out there, they can check it out. It's kostaki.com, C-O-S-T-A-K-I. And you've got lots and lots of traveling ahead of you, including Atlanta, Georgia. You're going to be at the Punchline First day of February, second day of February this year. Yeah, I love that place. The punchline, the last time I interviewed a comedian who was coming there, he said that it was one of the places he had most desired to perform. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, the old the old punchline the old days opened in 1983. I mean, it was. If people don't know, there was uh, that was the year that almost every uh, significant size city got a comedy club. There was a comedy explosion. Stand-up comedy was a thing that prior to that was a part of a variety show. You know, you'd have a you'd have a comic do ten minutes, and then a bird act, and a juggler, and a singer, and a you know, stand-up was something that was a part of something else. And in the early '80s there began to be some like full-time comedy clubs in New York and LA and maybe Chicago or Boston or something. And then it just exploded. There was some confluence of things that became a very popular medium. It was sort of the heyday of the, of the Reagan era. Baby boomers were out and partying. They didn't have kids yet. People were out going out and drinking and, and being out. That was a big part of the story of, of stand-up's explosion. So in about, in about 1983, clubs started opening up. Every every city got a comedy club, and the punchline was Atlanta's. And it uh, it saw everybody, Tim Allen and Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams and Seinfeld and Leno and everybody who was anybody came through the Atlanta punchline. It was one of the great clubs. And when I was a kid, you know, uh, a college kid that was the brass ring you know it was it was the thing we eventually had a comedy sort of organization at the university of georgia in athens and we got enough sort of uh we proved enough to the punchline that we were worthy of an occasional five minute guest set from someone at our club and we would send guys down from athens to do sets there and it was the most exciting thing. We would dole these out to the handful of comics we had, you know, like, oh, you're going to do the Tuesday on March 3rd. And, you know, that would be like three months out. And we would get so excited to go down and do five minutes at the punchline. And still, it's one of the great clubs. It's uh, It's got a lot of heart. And now it's owned by one of the open micers that I used to hang out with there. Jamie Bendel is one of the owners and uh, runs most of the day-to-day operations of that place. He's, he was one of my open mic buddies. He grew up and bought the club that we all wanted to wanted to be at. It's pretty cool. And so nowadays you live in California? Yes, I live in Los Angeles now. I was in New York for about a decade, and I was in L.A. for almost a decade prior to that, and now we're back here again. How do you like it? I always said about... Uh, L.A., I, I love the weather and I hate the rest of it. And uh, I always said about New York, it's exactly the opposite. The weather's <laughs> awful. But it's, it's got so much heart and it's such a fun city to be in. I still can't. I mean, those are exaggerations. But, yeah, L.A. is a little bit of step on each other's heads and everyone's trying to I, – I, I find L.A. to be off-putting sometimes. But a lot of my buddies are here and uh, it's a good place to be a comic and – you're you're on the edge of show business and any moment you could fall into it. So it's part of the reason that we're all kind of here knocking around and pitching ideas and working on stuff in these big markets. It, it, you know, it's there's some things about it that are great. I love the I honestly love the weather and that you're close to a beach and they have poker rooms here and I have friends here and you know. But I miss New York. New York's got a little more heart, a little more a little more life in it. What don't you like about California? You know, I, some of it is not California's fault. California, as a broad rule, is great. It's thoughtful. It's progressive. Some of the new ideas are coming out of here. It's a thriving economy. It's, 
you know, there's people from all over the world here. There's, you know, people creating great stuff in LA, you know, creatively. Um, there's never been better television, in my opinion, you know, than there is now. But it's, LA is yucky. LA is smoggy and trafficy, and you're running around trying to prove yourself to this big, crazy showbiz machine. And I came here to be a comedy writer years ago. I literally had my stuff at a U-Haul and drove it across America with my girlfriend at the time. And as we were driving, the reality boom hit, and all of the sitcom writing jobs disappeared. <laughs> like I was, uh, you know, the couple years prior. There were probably 70 sitcoms, and each had a staff of 10 or 12 writers. And that number shrank over the course of a couple, three years down to maybe 10. And so all those writers who had six-figure jobs and lots of credits and experience were ahead of me in line. And I came here like, I'm going to be a comedy writer. <laughs> like, uh, no. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen at all. <laughs> so I stuck to my first love, and uh, I succeeded in the thing I wanted the most instead, actually, which was to be a full-time stand-up comic. So it's probably a mixed, uh, mixed blessing. Well, everyone out there, they can check out, again, it's Kostaki.com, C-O-S-T-A-K-I. And I always like to end the interview by just giving the guest the microphone, just let them take the stage. What would you say to anyone who is tuned in? Wow, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm no, uh, again, I'm no big celebrity uh, success story, but I am a guy who got to do what he loved for a living, you know, and it's something that didn't seem possible when I started doing it. So I would say if you have a passion for something, stop mucking around and not doing it, go do it. And if you have to do it as a hobby, that's fine. And if you do it part-time or maybe you eke into a situation where you are you bartend a few nights a week and get to do your passion the rest of the time, great. Maybe you'll get to do it full-time. But uh, take a swing at what you really love because uh, you don't feel like you're working when you're doing what you love. And it's a, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty great thing to, to, to be able to do. So I would encourage you to chase your dreams, whatever they are. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. My I appreciate pleasure. it. All right. Well, I hope to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, thanks for reaching out, man. Uh, good luck with everything, and I'll see you down the road. All right. Happy All trails. Right, you too. <laughs> But this is a young girl. I guess I get back in the